When it comes to discussing our bodies, we often get a little uncomfortable. Women's health issues are often seen as off-limits, taboo topics we just don't talk about. It's time for that to change. Let's talk. Welcome to the Brave Mama podcast, where we are going to do exactly that. Discuss everything from periods to pregnancy, motherhood to menopause. No topic is off-limits. Join Stephanie Thompson, the brave mama and author of The Day My Vagina Broke, as she asks other brave women about their personal health challenges and triumphs. You will learn, laugh and cry as Stephanie finds out everything you wanted to know but were too afraid or embarrassed to ask. So grab a cuppa and enjoy. Hello and welcome back to The Lowdown with Brave Mama. This is our last episode for June and the series for Pelvic Organ Prolapse Awareness Month. This month, just to recap, we have spoken to women and our very first male guest all about the aspects of pelvic organ prolapse, surgery, living with it, how to find ways to still live a fulfilling life with prolapse and doing the best you can to manage your symptoms on a daily basis. We also had World Continents Week where we had our special guest from the Continents Foundation. Now we talk a lot about the Continents Foundation here because what they have to offer us as people with prolapse and or incontinence, their free services, free downloads, free information on the website is just a really great place to start if you are feeling lost on your prolapse journey. So there's links in the show notes to the websites and information below. Today's episode, we are talking to a fellow podcaster. Helen and I have met online as two mums who live with prolapse and both have podcasts. I decided to ask her on because she has a very different experience to me. And I think it's really nice to be able to hear from a really wide range of women from around the globe. So she's coming to us from the UK today. And I know that by listening to her and the hope that she can bring for you, hopefully by the end of the episode, it might just give you that little bit of extra oomph to go out there and try something new for you so you can feel better too. Let's get into today's episode with Helen. Hi, Helen. It is so lovely to finally get to see you and talk to you in person. Welcome. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. I'm like, I'm so excited that you've asked me. (laughs) Well, you know what? This whole conversation is from one prolapsed mum to another who just also (laughs) happened to both have podcasts and communities, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But first of all, we always like to ask this question, and it is, who was Helen before becoming a mama? Oh, gosh, right. Well, I was a journalist working in, in radio. I was living in London with my now husband, I was pretty active. I would play quite a bit of netball. I like to go for for runs. I I've moved around quite a lot for different for different jobs. Yeah, just kind of ha- like it was good. I was you know everything was good. Everything is good. Yeah, <laughs> I like how you clarified. Yeah, well, <laughs> but in actual fact, when we do reminisce back to pre-children, there is a lot of joy in that. And not so much a lot of stress and worry as we what we do now that yeah. we're parents, right? Yeah, it's a totally different time of life, isn't it? Everything's different. Nothing changes your world so much as having that first baby. Mm-hmm. Everything's different then. You have those responsibilities. You can't just do things on a whim, perhaps, in the way that you wanted to before or that you did before. That's exactly um, right. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your journey to motherhood then. More yeah, so, okay. I think... What led to prolapse? I mean, basically, let's okay. just get to the thick of it. Okay. What okay. caused your prolapse, okay. mum? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I probably need to talk a little bit about my first child. So I've got two children. I've got a, a little girl who's nine now and a boy who's seven. Okay. The prolapse happened after my son was born. So my daughter, she was breech, and we only found out on her due date. So we ended up having a C-section with her. It was an elective section. Sure. So I didn't go into labour. It was all very straightforward. And then I was just thrown into those first crazy, hazy months of, of motherhood. <laughs> and I did not give one thought to my pelvic floor. I just was, I was dealing, you know, everything else, 
breastfeeding, tongue tie, yeah. everything else you can think of, but but like obviously no sleep. Pelvic floor just wasn't an issue. I would sling her everywhere. I would get her to sleep by sort of bouncing up and down, which now makes me cringe a little bit because I just can't <laughs> think of doing that now. But anyway, so that was fine. And then and and recovered really, really well physically, you know. It's hard being a new mum, but physically recovered well. Then when I fell pregnant for the second time, uh, I had it in my head that I really, really wanted to, and I, like in inverted commas, do it properly this time. I wanted oh. to experience labour. I wanted to have a vaginal birth. I did something wrong last time, so I'm going to get it right this time. You know, all these kind of silly thoughts that we do have. Which um, now, right, you think about that, is totally crazy in the sense that someone somewhere along in our messaging allowed us to think that because your baby was breech. And because mm-hmm. you needed a medical cesarean, yeah. that wasn't the right thing. Yeah, I know. And then, and yeah, your brain does all kinds of crazy things. And yeah, as you say, it's influenced by societal pressures over the years and, the, oh, and yeah. those change. So when it came to having my son, I really wanted to have a vaginal birth and I kind of fought for that, actually. Okay. And so I got that. But yeah, it didn't, it didn't really go to plan. It was very long labour at one point. I don't know how much detail to go into really, but it was it was a long labour. I was quite sick, quite tired. Okay. And at one point they decided they would have to break my waters to put a monitor on my son's head. So that was quite far into the labour. And uh, kind of at that moment, like everything just sped up at a million miles an hour. Mm. And he, he was born not long after that. There was an episiotomy and mm-hmm. that became a third degree tear. So, well, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a lot of fun. And then I was straight into surgery for a couple of hours to get everything stitched back up and going back to what we're saying like my mentality even lying in surgery you know getting fixed up for a third degree tear I was still like yes did it properly this time came out of the right exit Helen (laughs) I know oh my gosh and now you know now that your son's much older you can in retrospect yeah look back and just think wow you know what I just want to go back a bit because you touched on the fact that you had to really push to be able to birth vaginally who was advising you not to and kind of what were they saying to you? I might have not explained that properly. There was something happened when they broke my waters that really kind of, I don't know what the word, accelerated labour basically. Okay. And and my body just pushed without me having anything to do with it. I don't know if this happens in every case. Hmm. I describe it as like, you know, if you need to vomit, you haven't got any control over that. It's just like a physical reflex reaction that just happens yes well, that was what the pushing was for me and I was also pushing on top of that because I don't know I was being told to push to get it was stuck whatever so I don't know it was just it was like it was just a lot of pressure in a quite a short amount of time after a long labor I can't ever really say like oh shoulda woulda coulda done this that and the other although obviously I've thought about all of those things because you just never know do you and if I hadn't gone through that I would have always regretted it because I was in this mindset of I want to experience labor I want to have a vagina but so I don't I don't regret that but yeah the things that kind of go through your head and and obviously I don't you know could the tear have been prevented I, I don't know but I think that was kind of like the last straw, really. That sort of led me towards the prolapse a couple of couple of weeks later. Okay, so we're going to chat about that in a sec. Mm-hmm. I think, I, and I'm sorry, my apologies, I did want to clarify. I meant like when you wanting to have a vaginal birth, was it your obstetrician that was saying, I think you need a second Caesar? And you had to advocate to say, no, I actually would like to try for a VBAC. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Okay. And also because my son was breached at one point as well, that that was oh. just nailed on, that that was what they thought should happen. Okay. And if, if it was going to be a vaginal birth, it had to be very closely monitored. So I wouldn't be able to be in like the mid midwife-led unit and all of that kind of stuff, which is a bit wild, really, because I know a lot of people really want this, the C-section <laughs> and really argue for that. And they get told that they need the vaginal birth. But mine was the other way around. It is crazy. I mean, we'd all love a crystal ball. We'd all love even even like x-ray footage to see what is going on with that baby and where is your pelvis and what's happening. So you mentioned you had an episiotomy with your son. Was he breech in the end or did he turn, by the way? He turned at the last minute, maybe like a couple of weeks before he was due. So, yeah. Okay. I guess that's a good thing for you. Hey, look, people do try and birth vaginally breached babies as well. Yes, I yes. I don't know if it's common in the UK. But I think the advocacy for that is there is a big, big push to say, look, you can. I'm not sure if I would take the risk myself because I don't know enough about it. 
That's the thing. You never know, do you? And and yeah. nobody does. We're all going off statistics and percentages and, and one tips the balance one way. And you'll never really know, but you make your decisions. And I guess nothing's done maliciously. Everyone's trying to do the right thing. Just, yeah. I agree with that. Work out. Lots of different stories that you've obviously heard and lots of women we've spoken to. I never get the sense that ultimately someone intentionally went to hurt you. I mean, I think we do talk about when someone is coerced to do something without being given the knowledge or understanding or consent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Women in childbirth don't have options to consent yeah. to anything, I don't believe. So when they were talking to you about the episiotomy, did they talk to you about it or did they just kind of say, hey, Helen, we need to do this thing? There was a conversation that they did ask for permission. As you say, at that point in the game, I, the answer is just yes. I just didn't expect it to end up being a tear. I mean, you're not thinking, are you, at the stage in the game? Not really, not clearly. Not at all. I don't yeah. think even clearly. I mean, I, you're in... Uh, not just a fog, but you've just gone through all of those hours, you're maternally fatigued. And until you know what maternal fatigue is, it's really hard to describe where your legs are shaking, you're probably vomiting. Like it's not just like, oh, I'm fatigued, I need to sit down. It's your body's having this physical reaction. You You just lose yourself completely, don't you? Yeah. And your memory. I I think like you when you said, oh, it's it's sped up really quickly. It goes from think 27 hours and then all of a sudden I could tell you the last two minutes and in between mm-hmm. nothing yeah <laughs> I don't know <laughs> which is probably a bit of a blessing so you said two weeks after you gave birth to your son you realized something what was that moment like how did you know did you even know it was a prolapse I did not know it was a prolapse but there was a moment I remember I was sitting got like a kitchen diner and I was I was sitting and I'd done two things. I had lifted my daughter, who was just two at the time. Yep. From I was sitting, so I thought that would be all right. But I did. It did feel strange. And I'd also strained on the loo to do a poo because that's mm-hmm. what we do, isn't it? And I remember hurrying, trying to hurry because I could hear the new baby, my son, yeah. cry, crying. Quick, I wanted to quick. get back to him my feet. So you just you're all over the place. A few minutes after that, the next time. I stood up, I just was aware of a lump in my vagina, like okay. the feeling of losing a tampon. Yeah. I was like, there's something something there, something strange. Uh, like I, because of the tear, I, everything was a complete mess anyway. So, yeah. But this was a different feeling than I'd had. I didn't know what it was. I went and got a mirror and tried to have a look and did not know what I was looking at because how many of us ever really inspect ourselves? That might have been the first time ever that. So I didn't know what I was looking at, but I didn't see that it didn't look maybe like it was supposed to look. Then I was all over um, Google looking looking at images to try and match something. I mean, like, yeah, that's not that's not a nice thing to do. Pretty scary. It is really scary because that. So then I found out. I figured out. Yeah, this probably is this prolapse thing. And then you read what it is, and you're like, well, your insides are sliding out. And then I'm thinking, I need to get on the phone and ring for an ambulance, yes, which I did course. not do. <laughs> yeah, because I like everything's coming out. I need to get some emergency medical help, but I didn't. Uh, I was fortunately I was still under the care of my midwife at the time. Okay. So I called her, and we ended up getting a GP referral and. You sort of went from there really but yeah it's it was it was just so shocking because I, I like how could I this is my second child and I've never heard of this thing called a prolapse and I'm so horrified by it I just yeah it, it was just I was just stunned yeah you know this morning I was just interviewing she's actually a doctor and now she's gone into pelvic floor physiotherapy and she said she doesn't love that Google has all of this information that is very scaremongering about prolapse. When you Google it, there isn't much to say that there's any hope that it could ever be fixed or treated Mm -hmm. and that you are just stuck with it. It's like there's no resolution for it. Mm -hmm. It's like bad luck. Guess what? You're one in two. You're up to the 50%. And I think that's what got me the most. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm a well-educated woman. Mm Mm-hmm. I like to call myself a feminist. How the hell did I not know that so many women are affected? I spent a lot of time on Google going down all the rabbit holes, 
feeling yes. really depressed. And like you say, just like, it's also really contradictory. Cause it's like, oh, I healed my prolapse. You can never heal your prolapse. <laughs> like, you know, don't do, don't do this, do do that. It's all kind of really scary. So I was on Google and I was really trying to also find out like how many women this affected. So I was yeah. like trying, trying to find out these figures cause I'm thinking someone, there should be someone here somewhere. I'm a journalist, that's my background. Oh, I should be good at finding these things yeah, out. Of course. And it was really hard to work out. And then, uh, when you do start seeing the figures, I think it's like, what is it, 50% after the age of 50, is it? And then, but not but not all of them will be symptomatic. But anyway, it's just, it's huge numbers of, of women. Yeah. And then I'm like thinking, well, how have I not heard about this? Why is no one talking about this? Why did no one tell me? And why can't I get any support or proper information that makes it clear what has just happened to me and what I'm supposed to do about it? What is my yeah. clear course of action? Yeah. Because it's like if you break your arm, you go to the emergency department, they put a cast on it, there's a process, you have an x-ray, then you might go to some rehab. There's yeah. always a process in any other medical field except for prolapse. Yeah. And then it's just this sense of being completely broken then, isn't it? Like I am broken and everything I'm reading is telling me that pretty much anything I try to do in my life will make that worse. So then you get this fear of of moving, of doing, of lifting, of of picking up your kids, of, of running around after them. N- never mind going to Zumba and netball and anything else you might ever want to do. Just the right. basics of getting the buggy up and down the stairs and all of those sorts of things. You're thinking that's going to be the last straw and everything will be on the outside. Yeah, definitely. I hear you there. I think when I first felt it, I, th- I had this imagery in my head that once the prolapse, if it did fall, that all of my other organs would come toppling down between yeah. my legs onto the floor. Kind of yeah. like you see in the movies when your water breaks, that gushing, yeah. like the josh. <laughs> yeah, and it, it? like you say, it's, it's absolutely wild because we are intelligent people. How could we think this? But it, yeah, it if you don't it, know, you don't know. <laughs> and it takes you to places. And I don't feel like anyone really does know. I mean... You've probably done it too, but I've interviewed women's health physiotherapists that have been taken by surprise. They know about prolapse and they're like, but I just never thought it would happen to me because I know better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what the heck? I mean, that's the thing. Actually, and that's a really key message to try and get across, isn't it? Like, it can happen to anyone. And there, there, there's not necessarily anything you can do. Like, sometimes you're just unlucky. And then it's about managing it and rehabbing all that and all the kind of stuff that we now know about. It certainly doesn't discriminate. I mean, I think in in season one, we've talked about multiple risk factors. And I think from my understanding, it's things like being a mum, pregnancy, having a vaginal birth. But it can even be if you were an elite athlete prior to becoming a Mm mum and your pelvic floor was too tight and you had incontinence. Mm -hmm. Plus, obviously, your weight, your age, your hormone level. I don't know. Jump in here. What else have we got that could be a possible risk factor? Constipation and straining from an mm-hmm. early childhood. And I think there are some like tissue disorders as well that you can have where you're more prone to like, I don't, I'm going to hypermobility maybe and things like that where you're more prone to kind of stretchy tissues. I've probably explained that really badly, yes. but you know what no, I mean? No, no, I, I understand it. I mean, there must, like, there must be things you can do to improve your chances of it not happening. But also I think the key thing is in the postnatal time, isn't it? Because there's so much emphasis on the pregnancy and the baby and then postnatally or postpartum, a lot of mums, it's not good enough. The care around that, we don't get enough advice on how to protect ourselves. So for ages, I was like, oh, if I hadn't lifted my toddler, if I hadn't strained on the loo, if I'd known, if I'd understood the level of damage that had been done, if I'd had any sense of what a third degree tear actually meant, Mm. maybe I would have done more to look after myself to prevent that happening like if someone had said to me in hospital you've had a third degree tear you need to look after yourself because if you don't you could prolapse your insides could fall out I, I would have remembered that above above anything else I would have done you know I think I would have looked after myself better so I can't say if those things were responsible for causing the prolapse maybe it would have happened anyway but I feel like if we gave better advice and care to, to women after babies were born then that, I mean, that's got to help, hasn't it? I would even start at ground zero, any level of care. 
<laughs> I don't think that yeah. I honestly I don't feel the village is there for a lot of our cultures. I mean, sometimes I've heard of in particular Asian cultures where the mum has to bed rest for 40 days mm-hmm. and 40 nights. Mm-hmm. And the grandmother comes in and cooks all the meals, does all the washing. And the mum's job is just to feed the baby and rest, which I initially thought, oh, that would be amazing. And like you, maybe prolapse wouldn't happen if you rested. However, just recently, I learned by having total bed rest and not activating your muscles at all can also have the opposite effect and they become too lax. Yeah. We don't know enough about any of it, do we? And But there's, there's surely things that we can do better. I'm absolutely convinced that, yeah, postpartum care could be a lot better. And it all feeds into this idea that this is just what happens when you become a mum, isn't it? It's all part and parcel of this expectation of like, oh, a bit leaky, oh, a bit lumpy. Well, you know, you're a mum now. That's just put up and shut up kind of idea. And you um, ask for this. You wanted to be a mum. And it's yeah. like secret women's business. And at the same time, there's a double-edged sword of not wanting to scare women prior. But I can promise you now, I would have much rather have been scared and fearful beforehand than when I'm sitting there and I can feel and see what looks like a baby's head. Yeah, (laughs) yes, exactly. I I mean, I think that's a really interesting one because you hear that all the time, don't you? I saw something on Twitter about it the other day. Um, that actually came from a, a urogynecologist in America, I think. And she was um, saying, yeah, why do, we don't need to tell women about this in pregnancy. It's just going to scare them. It will push up the C-section rates. It's not what we need. But I think we need to just like take a step back from that and think, I mean, apart from the fact that we're not actually informing women of the things that can happen when you're having children, take a massive step back from that and go, we don't need to be informing them in pregnancy. We need them to know this from day one. This just should be part of our education as children. We should know about our pelvic floors. We should understand our pelvic health. We should know the correct words for our vaginas and our vulvas. Then by the time we get to being pregnant, it won't be this horrible secret that's just been released and terrifies us into making different choices and all the rest of it so yeah I don't really yes we should be told in pregnancy but actually it's kind of too late by then we should just have this awareness from a very early stage I don't know why we don't well I do know it's all this shame and stigma and all the rest of it isn't it (laughs) but why it needs to continue I feel like there's a nice seed of change and it been coming from women like you and women like Sherry Palm in the states who have just been at this non-stop. I, I wrote a keynote lately. There are some people we need to scare. We do need to be scaring the people who are charged for caring for us because, Helen, when we feel scared, we do something. No one in a hospital where I birthed my baby felt scared for me. They don't feel scared at all because they just do it day in, day out, so they just keep going. If we slap them with a lawsuit, that then has to question their practices and it starts to scare them, guess what? They're going to have a conversation and go, hmm, we should probably look at that. Yeah, I mean, I feel sometimes like there's a disconnect and obviously this doesn't apply to ev- in every case or, or to every health practitioner, but mm. I feel like sometimes there's a disconnect between the people that actually deliver the babies, see the babies into the world safely and then obviously like the urogynecologists and the colorectal surgeons and the pelvic physiotherapists that deal with these problems that women have after weeks months years down the line yeah if you're not seeing where that delivery that traumatic birth ended up you're not going to change anything are you because your focus is in doing the thing on the day delivering the baby safely and sending the the woman off because the next one's coming in (laughs) yeah it's not the case everywhere and like you say hopefully there is a seed of change and that is getting better i yeah i think that is an issue it's just this you have your baby and then you're forgotten just get on with it that is just this pervasive attitude and that's what I think we're about we're trying to change right where we can make the change and you're spot on because um, ultimately I mean I've shared this in the book I withdrew the lawsuit from the hospital because of what it would cause for me my family in terms of angst and even having to prove that they had done something that was not in my best interest or in the duty of care so they'd never know They don't know what happened. So when they look at statistics and papers, they're so skewed because we are not counted in those statistics. Mm -hmm. They only know the good and then the really bad Mm -hmm. and not us mums once we've left out of care. Because here in Australia, we don't even have a a birth debrief. Is that what you call it in the UK? A debrief where you go and chat? Yeah, I mean, it's not standard practice here. My understanding is that you can request one. 
So if if you felt like you needed to know more about what happened, you can request one, but it's okay. def- it's not standard practice. So ah, okay, yeah. Yeah, I thought maybe because I was reading in all those trauma pages. Oh, well, in, at my debrief, I was mm-hmm. dismissed. So I don't yeah. know if they're helpful anyway. I mean, I can understand why people would want them. I actually, when I'd gone, because of the tear, I went back and saw a urogynecologist and she was able to kind of go through my notes with me from the time. Because like we said, you're in a haze and you don't remember. I don't think I particularly learned anything I didn't already know. But I can understand okay. how that can be really valuable to, to some women. So when she took, when you saw that you're a gynecologist, what was the next steps for you, knowing that you had a third degree tear? What was that journey like for you? In a way, I was a bit lucky, I suppose, if you want to put it that way, because some people come out and didn't even know that they had a third degree tear and then don't get on the pathways to get the help right. But because it was very clear on the day, I was immediately referred as a kind of an automatic referral to the pelvic health unit. So the urogynecologist and the physio and what have you. So I already had that in. So by the time that appointment came round, I think it was maybe, I want to say like three months later or something like that, the prolapse had also happened. So I was in the system then. So I saw a urogynecologist it's hard to remember, isn't it? Because also, it's no hard. sleep, new baby. Baby's yeah. probably like just outside the door waiting for a feed with auntie or whoever. It came down to, yes, you have got a prolapse. The way I remember it is like the options are you'll eventually have surgery if that's what you want or you can try and manage it and that might include a pessary or pelvic floor exercises. Okay. Which is like... Yeah, it's a hard binary choice to be put in front of you and (laughs) neither of the, really what you want to say, it's fine, it'll all be better in a few weeks, just go home and drink lots of orange juice and you'll be all good, but yeah. But I knew I didn't want surgery, certainly at at that point. Then from there, I, again, I was lucky, I was referred to an NHS physio, so I had a number of NHS physio appointments, which you will know were very, I was really grateful for, like emotionally, as well as They were helping me get my pelvic floor strong. They were helping me to do pelvic floor exercises. And I probably had, I want to say like four or five over the period of maybe a year or something like that. Sure. And then by the end of that, I was, what do you call it? Dismissed? No, what's the word I'm looking for? When you Discharged? Like it's finished? Yeah. Yeah. So by (laughs) the end of that, I was discharged. And that's where this whole thing started for me because I was discharged. I was like, right, well, that's as good as it's going to get. But I still feel a bulge. I'm still terrified of movement. And I spent the next couple of years just feeling like really rubbish about it all because I didn't think, I didn't think there was anything else. I, I thought that was it. I'd reached my limit. I'd had my physio. I'd been discharged that was me forever after that so that's the bit that I found the hardest I think just okay. go going then to be the mom of two really small children and just feeling kind of like I was never going to be that this this mom that I'd imagined running around after them throwing them around on the beach lifting them and some of it I did do because you just have to get on with it if you child's having a tantrum sometimes you've got to just bundle them up under your arm and, and walk out of the space or whatever so some of that, sometimes you do do that and then afterwards I'll be like oh prolapse didn't really thank me for that and the other aspect of it was that I found myself saying to them oh no mummy mummy can't do that mummy's not strong uh oh, mummy's got a broken bottom I had to explain because you have to bring them to your appointments they're like what are you doing behind the curtain there mummy I was like well mummy's got a broken bottom I hated kind of representing myself to my own children as a kind of weak person because it's not who I am and that made that makes it even worse doesn't it especially when they see other mums running around at the park and then they turn around and say to you why can't you do that yeah or Stephanie when I when I was seeing other mums running around the park and I was just like (laughs) I was really I I was well part part of me is like I'm so jealous I would love to do that and I will I'm really sad because I'll never do that again and then also I kind of want to run after them and say stop stop you don't know what you're doing you're going to damage your pelvic floor because this was the mindset that I was in at the time and I'm not there now in actual fact your first word of dismissed probably actually fits because (laughs) you hit the end of the road they say goodbye and then you were left to navigate this on your own so what did you do next because I don't feel like this is the end of the story for you just before we find out that answer from Helen let's just take a minute if you were listening to this episode right now and you can feel your head naturally nodding in agreement because you too have felt the same way as Helen you're certainly not alone it's really common to have these feelings of anger or envy or pain 
because you're watching other mums do the things that you had dreamt of doing and that now have been interrupted by prolapse. I talk about this exact thing in my book. We have some really workable solutions to managing these types of feelings as they are first happening to you. It can be such a confusing time and this book helps you become unstuck by sharing really clear and actionable goals that you can do right now. And one of them is this. We have a community of women already established just like you and those women and myself are ready to see you and hear you and support and love on you. There's a link in the show notes, a direct link. You can come and have a look and join us. Now let's get back into the episode. Helen's now going to share with us how she was able to overcome these thoughts and move forward for her. So it was a couple of years of going through these kind of emotions and sometimes it was pretty dark times sometimes. You know, I do remember occasions of feeling like, I describe it like the world just lost all its colour. Like my kids oh. were there, but I couldn't enjoy them. I couldn't, wow. I couldn't, I was present, but I wasn't like em- emotionally. I was like, I've got, you've got every reason to be happy, sun shining all around you, kids playing and all the rest of it, but there's just no joy. a weight. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was down. And then I was coming up to my 40th birthday, so it's like a couple of years later, and I was just like, I had a sense that I wanted to see if there was anything else that I could do to make things better than they were. Sure. So that's when I started. I saw uh, a, a holistic core restore coach. I don't know if you've come across that. Mm-hmm. So there's a few, aren't there, of these kind of I postpartum so. exercise programs that you can do. So I went right back to basics. Because yes. I had tried to do some exercise classes and things in the meantime, but I was just always just terrified that I didn't know what I was doing, that I was going to do more damage. I remember doing a spin class and I mentioned it to the teacher and she'd never heard of it, prolapse. So then I was like, oh, I don't feel, I just don't feel, I've never heard of it. So I was like, I don't feel safe doing this. So I started with the postpartum exercise class and just built it up tiny bit by tiny bit. Okay. There's a lot of focus on pelvic floor exercises and it just gave me back my confidence. So okay. I just, I just inched forwards. I saw, I went, I privately saw a physio as well at the time. And again, that gave me a direction to, to head towards an idea that I could do better than I was than I was doing. And around the same time, that's when I started my Instagram account because I realized that if I was feeling like this and I knew that the numbers were high, then there must be other people feeling like this. And why was no one talking about it? Because yeah. not talking about it was just making it so much worse. So that's when I started on the Instagram page. And then as you will know, lots of amazing messages from women going through the same thing, from physiotherapists working with women going through the same thing, and each of us discovering that we were all going through the same emotions in different places and keeping it to ourselves and then not really sharing it. Then I had this sense of like, what are we all doing on this secret (laughs) Instagram group? I was anonymous for a while and then I was like, right, I need to... Yeah, I was like, well, I mean, you know, I'm not like... it might surprise people to know, but I, I can't like talking about this stuff. It's ridiculous. I am just like the last person who could say. When I started, I couldn't even say vulva and vagina out loud. I was too, it was too cringe for me. I was just too embarrassed. Because um, we were taught that way, Helen. When we grew up, we were taught to cover up. Shh, it's private. Shush. Yeah. And I don't know if you just saw me grab this card. I'll show it to you and I'm going to read it as well. It says, remember, if you're not speaking it, you're storing it. And mm. that gets heavy. Yeah, so it's so true. Everything just gave me goosebumps. Everything you just said about how no one was really talking about it, so that means we're all storing it. And when you're heavy, I, I don't know about you, but I feel my prolapse is worse. Absolutely. You just become really hyper aware of, of it all because you're the only one who's dealing with it and you are dealing with it and you're thinking about it 24-7 and it's just taking up so much headspace. And that's what I've found through all of this, finding a way to talk about it and listening to other women who have it as well has just the weight, the mental weight for me has just lifted massively. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I feel like with prolapse and probably with other pelvic floor problems, it's like it, there's like layers to it. There's like the physical aspect of it, what's happening with your body. Yes. You know, you're, you're feeling bulgy, maybe you've got pain, maybe you, you are leaking, incontinent, whatever. There are things you can do to rehab that. 
But on top of that, and this for me is like the easy fix, is the mental stuff about not being able to talk about it and the shame that you feel and the, and the sense of being broken, the sense of feeling so alone and isolated, the guilt, the why did I do this? Why did I not do that? Yeah. The, the, the shame of it all. That like can be fixed. For me, that's been fixed a lot just by sharing my story. Do you feel the same? Did that yes. help you come to terms with it? Yes, 100%. And quite often, I will get messages on Instagram to say, pretty much, can you just tell me the formula on how you got fixed? Hmm, interesting. Then I reply back an answer that they don't want to hear. My prolapse is not fixed. I yeah. still have a grade three, four, three compartment prolapse with bilateral abulsions. My vagina hangs out of the opening most of the day, every single day, it doesn't go away no matter what I do. I've tried this, this, and this, and this, and this. And they then reply like, what the hell? How are you the way? It, it didn't seem like that. Mm-hmm. And then I say, okay, you go through the stages of grief and yeah. acceptance and then adjustment. Mm-hmm. Our life is very different to what we had, what we expected. I mean, basically, I thought I was going to be in that jogger pram running after three days to bounce back to have my athletic body back and now walking to the letterbox some days can be a really hard thing Mm -hmm. they have been lots of years of that would really piss me off make me depressed make me really sad those days are lighter I'm not going to pretend like they just disappeared all of a sudden because Mm -hmm. I had an Instagram account and a podcast no they still come not as frequently and they don't seem to hang around as long. I'm kind of, part of me sitting here thinking as well, I always want to make it really clear that I, I feel like my, on a spectrum, my problem, it, it is a spectrum of problems, isn't it? When it comes to pelvic floor problems, oh, there yeah. is a spectrum. And I feel like mine are not so bad in comparison to other people. What you've just described is really hard, but some of the, the principles are the same, isn't it? And some of the mental weight is the same. And I, yes. and I, and I'm so sure that if we give women better information, better support, an opportunity to speak about it, take away this sense that it, it, it is stigmatised and shameful and that it's their fault or they just have to put up with it. If we take away all of that, however bad you are on the spectrum, you're going to feel better. You're, gonna, you're not going to be healed, but you're going to feel better. Yeah, and I not, think, and it's so easy. That's cheap as well, isn't it? It's free. <laughs> well, it's not, <laughs> phys- it's not physically healed, but mentally, yeah. emotionally. And, and yes, I will say I have spent a lot of time with a psychologist, at some point a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. when there's really dark, deep moments. And it's taken a lot of work. Luckily, in Australia, we have a Medicare system where you can now apply for 10 visits um, per year. So basically, that's a one visit a month. And I book it in for the 10 months and have Christmas mm-hmm. off and January off and whatnot. But it takes work. And I think it, when someone starts at the beginning of their journey, it's too hard to see what can happen and how what that road looks like to get from point A to point B. Yeah. Which is why I'm so grateful you are in this space and we are doing this to help women because we have now gone from A, we might be at almost at B, or sometimes at B and then sometimes a little bit back. But uh, share with us the name of your Instagram account. So when you went from anonymous and then you called it something, I love it, share it. So it was, st- it was still called Why Mums Don't Jump, but I just didn't put a name on it. And then, and it kind of, I got, I don't know, I can't remember how, a few weeks in or maybe a couple of months in and people were messaging me and I was just like, I didn't feel like I can stand up and say, we all need to be talking about this stuff. And then with a paper bag over my head because I didn't want anyone to know who I was. So I was just like, okay, I've got to do this then. It was quite a big moment though because I knew that eventually people that knew me personally would, yeah. would find out about this my colleagues yes. you know friends family members that was a bit of a leap I felt like it really had to be done because if I'm asking people to talk about stuff I can't do it anonymously and that's not to say that everyone has to go out and shout <laughs> about these things you don't you don't need a podcast to feel a bit better about it but to um, be fair I totally understand why you would do that anonymously in the beginning I think quite often, I know that my husband didn't tell people that I had a book with the word, the day my vagina broke, because then they would also know that his wife, is something wrong with her? And then Mm. they, I think, (laughs) then people would picture, well, what does that look like? 
Yeah. What is that? What is that anyway? Because they've seen pornography. Of course. They've seen mm-hmm. vulvas. They don't realize that vulvas are different from vaginas. And they're like, is it sliced up? I don't know. So we didn't talk about it for quite some time. But then I think as time has gone on, we've become a little bit more desensitized even in our own home. Like you said, yeah, you couldn't say the word vagina or vulva at the beginning and now look at us. I think we've said yeah. it 10 times. I don't even go red anymore. Yeah. My kid, you know, my kids know those words. Um, yeah. It's just really important, isn't it, that we know, well, we know, we've, we've said it all. We need to know the different parts of our bodies for loads of different reasons, not least because, you know, we need to go to the doctor and ask for help. Which bit of you is, is hurting? Where do you need help? We just need more awareness about it all. And yeah. also giving them silly, I mean, I'm saying silly. Like, I like a euphemism as much as anyone else, right? And that's fine. We can still use all the euphemisms. But as long as when it comes down to it, we do really know what's going yeah. on. Because it's important, isn't it? So I was going to, I was saying, so that was the Instagram account. And then, mm. yeah, the more people responded to that, and my, my background is in radio, the more I thought, maybe I can help people to access some good information yes. maybe I can help people get some support and actually a podcast is probably the perfect vehicle for that because it's so intimate isn't it it's just it's in your headphones you can choose whether to listen or not you can choose who's around you when you're listening Correct. and uh, and you know the power of sharing these stories as we've talked about can help people to feel so much better at the same time as all of that I I was seeing a physio who helped me get back I did get back to running Ooh. I say running I mean like when I say running, I mean a couple of laps of the local park. That's of, okay. Yeah. Any. And I and I love it. And I recognise that not everyone on this spectrum of problems mm. will perhaps ever get to that point. And, and perhaps it's not good for everyone. Perhaps right. it's not even good for me. I don't, you know, who knows. But I did it really carefully. I built up to it. I did the couch to 5K. And it doing that, the act of being able to go out and have a run early in the morning in the park with my headphones on, listen to a podcast, get away from everything, especially through lockdown, oh, yeah. has given me back everything. Oh, beautiful. Because now I feel like my prolapse doesn't consume me anymore. It doesn't limit me in any way. I do what I need to do. I don't have all the answers. And like you say, it's not fixed. And yeah. I had an appointment with a, it was a pestry fitting actually last week and I got called out for being complacent with my pelvic floor. My pelvic floor is not as strong as it needs to be and I have been complacent with it. I haven't maybe done all my exercises and when I have, I haven't done them properly and I need to do that if I want to wear a pestry. It's, you're always learning and you're always having to do the work, aren't you? It's never, that's never going to stop. Yeah. It's really interesting because I was, I was curiously thinking personally, so does this mean, say, for example, if you were diagnosed with a stage two prolapse when after the birth of your son and once the, the three degree tear healed, have you then changed the grading of your prolapse up one? So I, I, I don't know how to answer that because I was not given a stage um, oh, when okay. I was first diagnosed. I was given something called a POP-Q score. I don't know if you've come across this. Where you get like nine different measurements. Yeah. yeah. And they sort of they create an image of drawn a graphic image not yes. a photo of what's happened i knew that i had an anterior wall the front wall prolapse and actually so it's only last week that i was i was given a grade after only well, seven now <laughs> so seven years yeah so last week i was told that at the moment it's a grade two it's an anterior prolapse it has got better over that time from the, the initial moment of it happening to this point now must i know that it's got better because my symptoms are that's, so much improved that's you know, amazing. at the time I felt like I was sitting on a doorknob every okay. time I would sit down you know you'd feel I would yeah. just feel that heaviness that bulge all the time discomfort like I'd say on bad days it's like wearing underwear that's too small it's like that level of annoyance yeah but it's okay. not catastrophic and all of these things have improved over time and it changes through the month through my menstrual cycle some days are better than others that's um, so interesting I feel like we, I mean, we know that we are such an underserved portion of the female community. We get that. I, I hope that changes. But we are seeing so much advances in this femtech space. So you can wear trackers for your ovulation, heart rate monitors in a beautiful watch or a ring. But as far as I know, because I've looked at quite a few, there are none of the period trackers that allow you to track your symptoms of prolapse throughout the month to then gather say, six months worth of data to say, okay, in this part of my cycle, I mean, we guess. 
I, I often yeah. say, oh, yeah, I know I feel worse in certain parts of my cycle. And then I get there and I'm like, is it before or after I have my period? I can't remember because I don't write yeah, it down. Yeah, I know exactly. And yeah, I know. I mean, I do on my tracker. I do have a bit where I, ca- I can put notes, and yeah. sometimes I do try to do that, Same. but I'm not. I'm not consistent with it. Um, I use Flow. Sure. Have you used okay. Flow? No, I th- I, mine's fit, Fitter. F I T R. Okay. Fitter, I think Fitter Woman or something. I'm sure someone who understood more about hormones than I do would be able to pinpoint which days in the cycle it's likely to be better or worse. Um, but yeah, I want to say like round ovulation and then round a bit. For me, like maybe just leading up to period, but I, just before, yeah. yes, yeah. And I feel like just before feels the worst, and then when you get it for some reason, once you have your period, you're like, oh, okay. I wear my period underpants, and then I feel a bit more relaxed, a bit more supported, mm-hmm. which is it's it's just a really strange feeling. And so I think obviously, hopefully, we get better places there. Where are you wanting to take your podcast, and what kind of things are you wanting to do for the future? Oh gosh. Um, so it's just been, it's like, it sounds a bit cheesy, but it's, it has just really been a very organic thing. You know, it started on Instagram. I thought I'll, I'll do this one, one season and see what the response is. If it goes well and if I feel like there's more scope for more, then I'll do another season. So I did that and now I'm on the third season. And the, you know what? It's like the more you do and the more you talk about it, you know there's, there's still loads to talk about. Oh, yeah. So there will be a fourth season as well and hopefully other things going to develop out of it. But for now, I mean, it is a passion project. I am passionate about it. So <laughs> that's how you get things done, isn't it? So whatever else is going on, I I have every intention of keeping things going and keeping these conversations going because you'll know what it's like. You'll still get the messages, the same ones that I do from women all over the world who sometimes just send an email to the inbox because they've never been able to tell anybody else and now they've got an email address (laughs) that's going into an inbox. Isn't that just tragic that people haven't been able to have those conversations with anyone else? Not Um, even with the people in their own house especially sometimes not yeah. with the people in their own house and I, I like, find that. yeah and I think like you said before in that sense things are changing you know we are hearing more about the menopause more about yes things like periods. endometriosis m- more about periods like it does feel and there's the UK government's put some more money into pelvic health it's made it a bit of a priority in in this current NHS plan okay. so bit by bit it does feel like change is happening for our daughters hopefully we'll be i hope we'll be redundant you know <laughs> hopefully we will need to do this when, when by the time they get to that point i did say to someone the other day i can't remember who it was but i said i hope the sequel to my book will be the day my vagina was fixed and then that's the end of me yeah because wouldn't that be the ultimate resolve is to say hey this happened i went on this journey i was fixed and so with technology, with the way we're talking about this openly, hopefully more research dollars goes into it, we can have better outcomes. Absolutely. And, and I, I heard, um, is it Tanya Bowler, who is the, I think she's the CEO of, of LV, you know, the, yes. they do the, the LV tra- pelvic Biden floor rings. trainer and the breast pump. Yeah. I oh, know it's the pelvic floor trainer, the technology and the breast oh, pump. not Elevit. Okay, yeah, sorry. No, uh, so E-L-V-I-E. Okay. But I'm sure this applies to a lot of femtech. One of the things that she said has put research, has put people off investing in those products is the, the ick factor and the taboo and the stigma around these issues. So if we do the job of trying to dismantle the embarrassment and the shame and the stigma, maybe the people who can invest, put the research dollars into fixing it will not have that blocker anymore. Yeah. You know, that's a good thing. Hopefully we'll get to a point where there are better preventative measures, better Treatment. treatments, better rehab, like all of that could happen. And and one of the things, so I, I'm uh, trying a pessary at the moment. I don't know if you've, you've ever, I don't know if you wear a pessary. I have products. tried too many. I think I'm up to yeah. number eight yeah. over the years. And because of the evulsions, there's yes. nowhere for them to sit when they mm-hmm. get inside. So you can put them up as high as they can possibly go. And as soon as you know they get you to walk around the car park, it goes, slides yeah. out. And some of them even flipped 
around the like a, the girl horn flipped around the other way I'm like how do you do that <laughs> <laughs> falling out into my undies upside down I'm like how do you yeah. that was pretty clever but what the hell's that it's a mission I'd like yeah I did try a ring a few years ago the same thing happened to me it fell out yeah. I'm currently trying a, a cube we could we, we just have to keep trying these things don't we and, and seeing yeah. if we can work with it and I think one thing that I didn't realize that if your pelvic floor uh, muscles are not strong enough they will not work so you've not got to hold. kind of do the two yeah you've got to do the two at the same thing at the same time so there's developments coming down that road as well <laughs> I was hearing the other day about the 3d printing of, of bespoke yes. pessaries for, yes. for people that sounds promising maybe there's well, we've yeah. been chasing that one for a little while. That one's kind ah. of been in and out of on our radar for quite some time. And I think that they've just landed their next lot of funding. But again, we've asked the questions for women with avulsions on top of their prolapse. And they said they're uncertain that the, the 3D scan will actually be able to fill that space. Yeah. So it's a, it's a wait and see game. Mm-hmm. And I think, Helen, how we keep getting through every day is to focus on other things in our life that we can manage and have autonomy and control to some level. Yeah, yeah. It can all get a bit much, can't it? Sorry, I've interrupted you. Carry on. Yeah, no, it, you're exactly right. It can be a bit much when every new... So every new pessary I've tried, it's like the day before... I'm excited. I'm on yeah. cloud now. I'm like, this is it. This is the one. And yeah. my husband and I get excited. And then I go and then I'm like, this is shit. Yeah. <laughs> and because, too, every time we're paying, what, $200, $350 a go, right. it's not accessible for everyone. And no. I had actually had a big break from trying them because of the expense. We, too, didn't mm-hmm. have the money. And when you're doing passion projects like this, it does make it really difficult. Mm-hmm. But I, I do hope that this 3D printing has much of a higher success rate without having to do eight different ones before finding your match. Yeah. And again, just talking about it more, giving people the information and the knowledge to advocate for themselves and to hammer on the doctor's door and ask for treatments and ask for research and stand up and say, no, this isn't okay. We want fixes. We want actual fixes. I'm not coming from at it from a surgical point of view. I'm not a medical person. I'm just a mum with a prolapse. <laughs> but it feels to me like the more we do that, surely like the more investment will come. And hopefully, eventually, when all of these things get put in place we understand our bodies more we know what's happening through pregnancy we can try to prevent the worst things happening we can help people to recuperate afterwards we can find better treatments if they end up in this space and we can take away the shame and loneliness and the mental kind of health issues that come with it bit by bit by bit it can get better can't it I think so. I, I'm living proof that it can. I yeah. know that people have their different mindsets and it can be a mindset shift. Just interestingly, about the research thing, I discovered the other day that potentially, this is a very sweeping generalisation, so if we've got any researchers in this space, please reach out if I've got this wrong. But when someone is under the care of a university and there's a research project, generally speaking, they want to conduct the research and end the research within a certain time frame which might be a year, and they want to see success because, of course, if you're doing a project, anything to do with the pelvic health space, I was told the outcomes could be five to ten years until you see a significant difference, which is why research in pelvic health is not sexy for a researcher. Yeah, I've heard a similar thing about targets. I suppose it applies with any targets, doesn't it? Yes. If you want to show that you are top of the class and hitting all your targets, you need a target that's achievable and you can demonstrate a fix within a short amount of time Correct. and then, you know, tick that box. With something like prolapse and pelvic floor problems more generally, that's a lifelong thing, isn't it? So it's not going to be very attractive to anyone <laughs> because you, it's going to be a really long time before you can demonstrate results, I suppose. So yeah, that does make sense. A bit then, of a light bulb moment, isn't it? It's like, oh, okay. So it's not just because they're not interested. It's because it's probably has other hurdles that I never even considered like that. Yeah, there's probably loads of hurdles around it. But also, I know that, I'm not speaking for her, but do you know, you will have come across probably Elaine Miller, who's yes. Gossip Grippers, physio, comedian, pelvic health Brilliant. advocate. I spoke to her and she was talking about for some of this stuff. So if we again, we talk about pelvic floor problems and we talk about the spectrum and for women with stress urinary incontinence, Mm -hmm. 
we have the evidence of how to fix those women and we've had it for 40 years and it is about pelvic floor training and for women who for whom that is the problem and that's perhaps the only problem they can see a great deal of improvement from doing the pelvic floor exercises but no one's telling them that and no one's helping them to do that again there's just this idea that that's just what happens when you have a baby you go through your life maybe it gets worse at menopause maybe it gets worse again when you you know get into old age maybe you then have a miserable time you end up in a care home because you can't um, because yeah. you're completely incontinent Yes. And so some of the research is already there, but we just haven't acted on it. So that is, that's the other aspect of it. And, uh, so yeah, Elaine, Elaine is great on that. She's really, well, you will know. She's a pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think it, her episode was our um, final episode on season one for the reason that I said sometimes we also need to laugh. I know prolapse is not yes. funny. It's not a joke, but there's an element of, you know, that other half of our life that still is important and having that joy and being able to have fun with someone, even though you're talking about something very serious, I wanted people to be exposed to that because when I met Elaine and we were chatting, I was like, wow, I'd never thought of it that way. I never Mm -hmm. even, I didn't frame prolapse in, I framed prolapse in doom and gloom, end of the earth space. I never looked at it like, Oh, actually, yeah, it happened, but it's not the end of the earth. I, I, I think know, it's yeah. it's so easy to get lost in that spiral of doom and gloom, yes. and especially when the only resource you've got is Google and sometimes some of the forums and things where it's like, you know, that's the only place where women can share their darkest moments with, and, and they can only feel like they can do it with complete strangers because they're yes. the only ones who can relate. But sometimes we drag each other down, I think, and the internet can do that. So I think it is really important just to, yeah, put a little bit of levity on it sometimes. And we can laugh about ourselves and our our situations. I mean, even just the small, and and again, like community brings that with it. Like, so through the Instagram page, I ended up meeting in person a couple of mums who live locally to me. And so we started what we call our little pop club. And the first time we met, (laughs) we met in... um, a cafe just a mile or two up the road. We all took our toddlers at the time. We'd never met each other before. And within like a minute, we're just, how's your vagina? How's your prolapse? How's this? In the middle of the cafe. It was funny. It was just nice to share those experiences. And then what? And then the husband of one of them turned up and we carried on talking about our vaginas. And you just, we're just human. And it does affect your life in a massive way. But it is, it's important to, yeah, just, get some joy wherever you can get it (laughs) exactly and it is such a journey and i hope that people can listen to your podcast where can they find your podcast most importantly wherever you get your podcast you should be able to find why mums don't jump uh, or on the website why mums don't jump.com beautiful and obviously in social media as well social media oh wow we can we're going to keep fighting the good fight and in actual fact i'm just putting it out there because i feel like to create things that you want you've got to say it to the universe and like I said to you before we jumped on I feel like I know you already I feel like I'm going to (laughs) be one of those mums in that pop group at the cafe so we are working towards creating a massive retreat convention pop what whatever and meet at the vagina museum in London oh wow oh I'll be there yeah let me know I'll come yes people from the US are already saying I'm there and we've got people obviously from Australia and around the world who just say meeting women face to face and having that connection would be an experience of a lifetime yeah like 100% I am there you let me know I'll be there (laughs) it's a bit easier for me we definitely will be doing that so you can watch this space I would say probably we're going to let the world open up a little bit more still before planning these things without getting them shut down because it's a Mm -hmm. long way to come or to be stuck in an airport so yeah Helen I just want to say thank you so much from all of us and our community having you on has been really really helpful and educational and I would recommend any one of our community to go and listen to your podcast too because you're going to have different stories with different women with prolapse and perhaps different topics that we haven't yet covered so thank you no thank you very much for having me it's been lovely to virtually meet you on the other side of the world (laughs) (laughs) for sure (laughs) thanks Helen You know, there was one line that Helen said during that interview that has stayed with me and I don't know about you, it could be something different. But when she said it felt like the colour just drained 
out of her world and her children were still there and she was still present, but she just couldn't see the color in the world. It's almost poetic because as she was saying that and as I listened back the second time, I was like, wow, it's a really great way to show the level of impact that prolapse can have on us. And if you're feeling this level of impact too and kind of finding it hard to find the words to say to the people that love you who are around you, use that line or share this episode with them so they can give them some insight into what it could look like for you. And then when people understand it better, I think we've got a better chance of coming up with solutions or ways to feel better and we want you to feel better too so if you are listening to this right now and you're feeling alone we do have a safe online space in a facebook group it is free it's a community of women from around the globe now i know that some of our long-term listeners here may have had some issues with Facebook and we apologize, there was a setting that was placed on there. So if you had not had a Facebook account for an extended period of time, Facebook did an automatic decline. If this has happened to you and you would still like to be part of that group, but for whatever reason you have a new Facebook account, can you please reach out to me and we can work through that for you because we don't want to see you and leave you alone in this space when we have so much to offer and share. All right. So that wraps us up for June in Pelvic Organ Prolapse Awareness Month and Continence Week for July and August. We've got some amazing things coming up for you and opening the scope a little bit into some things more around motherhood in general. There's a nice theme of prolapse involved. We also are talking to a sexologist and some really great conversations to be had. So tune in and until next time, bye for now. Mom